The Senate Judiciary Committee has been holding hearings this week on the Supreme Court nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The hearings are a much-beloved American ritual in which Republican senators sound angry about something while the court nominee lies like a dog or the New York Times. Then the senators go on Fox News and talk about how angry they are before returning to the Senate to confirm the candidate who proceeds to destroy our freedoms by gutting the Constitution of every trace of meaning, whereupon the senators go back on Fox News to say how angry they are about it. The hearings began with a stern warning to Republicans from Democrat Committee Chairman Dick Durbin, who said, quote, I don't want to hear anyone say that Judge Jackson was chosen because she's a black woman just because she was chosen because she's a black woman, because that would be racist, because she's a black woman, which is why she was chosen, unquote. Senator Durbin went on to ban any questions that Democrats could interpret as racist, such as what is your judicial philosophy? Why should you be appointed to the nation's highest court when you have no relevant experience? And how come your candidacy was supported by dark money from the most radical anti-Americans on the planet? Durbin said Republicans could generally avoid charges of racism if they confined themselves to saying good morning, voting yes, and then going on Fox News. Maisie Hirano, the Democrat senator from the state of unfathomable stupidity and moral ignorance, also issued a warning by saying, quote, I do not want to see Republicans stoop to any disgusting behavior like making wholly unsubstantiated charges about some fantastical sexual incident that never happened when the nominee was a teenager, then enlisting an entirely corrupt and compliant press to amplify the false charges, which would then be weaponized by hysterical leftist feminists screeching at people in elevators. That sort of despicable and unforgivable behavior would turn this chamber into a carnival on the level of Nightmare Alley and reduce the senators who perpetrated it to the moral equivalent of some putrid substance that should be scraped off the public shoes like dog crap or the New York Times, unquote. The statement brought on a protest from Dianne Feinstein, the senator from the state of China, who said that while Democrats had, of course, done all these things to Brett Kavanaugh and therefore may well be lower than dog crap, it was an unfair insult to compare them to the New York Times. Forewarned that they would be carefully watched by powerful news outlets and the 17 people who pay any attention to them, Republican senators nonetheless courageously peppered Judge Jackson with difficult questions like, who does your hair? What kind of kooky name is Katanji? And my wife thinks you have a nice smile, which isn't exactly a question, but is at least servile and humiliating. There were some fireworks, however, when Senator Lindsey Graham set off some fireworks, something he always enjoys, and also when Senator Marsha Blackburn asked Judge Jackson if she could define what a woman is. Judge Jackson responded, quote, and this is a real quote, I can't define what a woman is because I'm not a biologist, unquote. The remark created a furor as hysterical feminists rushed into elevators, screeching they couldn't be sure President Biden had actually nominated a black woman if no one could prove what a woman is, which forced Democrats to search desperately for a biologist, although no one could remember whether a biologist is the one who dissects frogs or the one who works a seismograph, so that the hearings devolved into chaos while Senator Josh Hawley pounded the table and forcefully demanded to know what a seismograph is, and Senator Cory Booker started shouting, I'm Spartacus. Then stood up to reveal that he was, in fact, wearing a short leather skirt, proving either that he really is Spartacus or simply a closeted homosexual. The hearings have now moved on to a new phase in which Republicans display more anger while experts lie about Judge Jackson's lies until the judge is confirmed to the Supreme Court and destroys the Constitution, leaving the Republicans free to go back on Fox News. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are 
Queen also singing hunky dunky dee dee. Ship shaped tipsy topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, we are back laughing our way through, crying our way through the fall of the Republic. Uh, we're going to talk about how when Democrats want to say gay to our children, we should answer, okay, groomer, and uh, it, why it matters that a black that black woman, Katanji Brown Jackson, doesn't know what a black woman is. And also, I, I've got a piece to read you from the New York Times that you will not believe. I'll get to that in a little while. Two more weeks until The Truth and Beauty uh, is published. So these are the last two weeks for you to do me the favor of pre-ordering it, uh, which really helps with the publisher and also just helps them to know to order more books and that there's interest in the book. You will like it. You can get uh, the introduction on the Zondervan website. You can read the introduction. You can also listen to the introduction on SoundCloud uh, if you want to hear the audiobook read by yours Truly, also please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us tremendously in selling the show and keeping it on the air. And go on YouTube and subscribe there. And if you're comment, uh, leave a comment. First, you want to ring that bell. And when you ring that bell, uh, an innocent person dies somewhere that you don't know. Uh, but then you can leave a comment... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, but leave a comment. And if the comment is sufficiently morally repugnant, we'll read it on the show. Today's comment is from Jonathan Schmidt. He says, I know Clavin, an international man of mystery, wit, and manliness, can't be with us every day and needed time for his hobbies. I've also noticed that ever since Clavin has ventured eastward, murderous Russian generals started randomly dying. It may be a coincidence or it's one, one hell of a hobby. <laughs> Listen, everybody does what he enjoys. All right, you know I love my Helix mattress because I feel comfortable as I lie awake on it all night, but now Helix has left the bedroom and started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform. They're making terrific sofas. What makes them so great? For starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, the sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size and shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. All form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. All form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes, no tools needed. And if getting a sofa without trying it in a store sounds a little risky, you don't need to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you wanna keep it, that's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. It is not gonna be a problem. Go to allform.com slash Clavin, because they're offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. Allform.com slash Clavin. If you know how to spell Clavin, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. There are no E's in Clavin. So listen, when the news gets as upsetting as it is, I think it's a good thing to begin the show by taking a step back for a broader philosophical perspective and pondering uh, some words of wisdom. The governor and I, and we were all... Um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. 
<laughs> talking about, I feel like I'm older than I was. There's this new book out that says that there is some tension uh, between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden uh, because Biden isn't sure whether he has dementia or Kamala really is that stupid. And nobody can, wants to break it to him that both things can be true at the same time. So talking about a day in the life of children, let's talk about Democrats grooming our children for sexual abnormality. All right. Because they keep saying, you know, they've taken out these billboards. They, they've uh, branded this Florida bill that keeps them from selling this uh, sexual abnormality to children. They branded it, don't say gay. So they've taken up these billboards to say gay. And I think we should take up billboards right next to it uh, that say, okay, groomer, you know, <laughs> fine. So so Megan Basham has been doing some excellent work uh, reporting on Disney and how a small number of employees have uh, bullied the CEO, Bob Chapek. Chapek wanted to bring the Disney into a non-political arena because he didn't want to lose audience share. Uh, he knows that the audience doesn't like this stuff that's going on. Uh, they trust. They used to trust Disney to give them clean uh, entertainment with good values. They're lo- going to lose that trust if they haven't lost it already. And here's what he's getting from this small number of Disney employees. He says he's sorry. Well, then mean it. Continue to fight for us and stand with us and not donate any more at all. Not just a pause, but a complete shutdown of any future donations into any candidate or into any campaign that stands against the LGBTQ community. So, of course, Chapek, Disney just completely caved in. The Disney leadership announced that it's planning to take action against Texas uh, for Republican Governor Greg Abbott's order to the state's Department of Family and Protective Services to investigate those performing some sex change surgeries or, treat, or treatments on children, which, of course, should be illegal and punishing uh punishable by imprisonment. There is no science to support it. Uh, It is mutilating a child for life on the basis of leftist academic theory uh, and basically political theory. Uh, Disney, uh, Bob Chapek now says he he apologizes for the company's initial refusal to take a stand against the Florida law. They say they're going to reinstate uh, a lesbian kiss that was included in the new Pixar film Lightyear, a Buzz Lightyear origin story. Of course, they'll be cutting that out when they sell it to the Muslim Middle East because it would interrupt uh, the gay people being execu- <laughs> executed there. I mean, it's so it's so hip, hip, hypocritical. That's the problem with it to begin with. But also maybe you don't want your kids to see this. Here's my position on this. My position is very specific and it is important because it points to the fact that the mask of tolerance is being worn over the face of evil. That's what's happening here, okay? Because I am a sexual libertarian. I don't care what people do in the privacy of their own line, of their own homes. That doesn't mean I don't have an opinion about it. It doesn't mean if somebody asked me for advice about what they were doing, I wouldn't tell them. I do have opinions. We all have opinions about things that people do. To give you an example, uh, if you include uh, serious pain in your sex life, right? I think you're, you're probably damaged by trauma and that you're repeating that trauma and teaching your brain uh, to, to repeat that trauma every time you do it. And maybe you should think about taking uh, another tack. Maybe you should think about training your brain to like something else instead of being mired in your past, all right? But would I, would I tell you, would I knock on your door and tell you to stop doing it? No, I wouldn't. However, if you bring that out into the world and if you do it publicly, then I have the then it's in the public sphere and I have the right to an opinion. If you try to teach it to my child, you are in the public sphere and you are going to hear from me very solidly. When you glorify something, when you glorify something or even just publicize it, when you bring it out into the public, the public has a right to know. So 
if you have religion, you know, religious objections to homosexuality and you knock on your gay neighbor's door and tell them about it, I think you're kind of a schmuck. I think you're bothering somebody about something that's going on. If that guy starts to come out and say, you know, uh, homosexuality is great, you have the right to say, no, it's not. And here's why. And here's why I think it's not. That is part of the what free speech is all about. That's what part of social life is all about. It's the core of free speech. So, so when you silence people, when you silence people in the public square, right, you're not doing something that involves tolerance. You're not doing something that involves sex. You're doing something that involves shutting people down. And that means that you are using the mask of tolerance, my tolerance of what you're doing in the privacy of your room. You're using the mask of tolerance to cover up the face of evil. And the, the evil that's being done is taking freedom away. And what I want to make the argument is this is the point. The point of what they're doing has nothing to do, well, it doesn't have nothing to do with sex. It has to do with sex. But the purpose of what they're doing with sex is to take freedom away. That is the evil that's being hidden, the face of evil that's being hidden behind the mask of tolerance. Twitter, which at this point, I believe, should be disbanded. It should be outlawed. The uh, the leaders of Twitter should be taken out and tarred and feathered, thrown into the Potomac because they are damaging our culture of free speech. It doesn't matter if you have a First Amendment. It doesn't matter if you uh, believe in free speech, if we lose our culture of free speech. And the conservatives, the, these are the people who drive me nuts. The conservatives say, well, it's a private business. I don't care what it is. The, the power that it has to silence people is just too great. Now, there's another side to it where they silence Trump and he becomes more popular and they're silencing gender dishonesty and the, op the opposition to gender dishonesty. And that's becoming more popular. Uh, you know, they should silence God and maybe the country could still be saved. But they, they silenced uh, the, the Babylon Bee. They silenced the Babylon Bee because they jokingly uh, made a joke about um, Rachel Levine. They named him Man of the Year as a joke about USA naming him Woman of the Year. So they banned the Babylon Bee. And then the editor of the Babylon Bee, Kyle Mann, uh, who's also a man, obviously, though he has changed his name to Kyle Woman. But Kyle Mann was jokingly pointed out, oh, they're censoring him for making that joke about Rachel Levine, but they're not censoring the Chinese government, which is committing genocide. So Twitter banned Kyle Mann. They banned his personal account which tells you they are not defending against hate. They're not defending Rachel Levine's you know, life or, and his feelings. They are defending leftist orthodoxy against the truth. That's what they're doing. The mask of tolerance over the face of wickedness. Now, Rachel Levine, again, can wear his pearls and talk in his fluty voice and grow his hair long and call himself a woman, and I don't care. I, I really don't care. But once he's out in the public sphere, once he's a public figure, I have the right to an opinion to say, you know, he's not a woman. That's not what a woman is. You know, we know what a woman is. We don't have to be a biologist to know what a woman is. We know. You put out rainbow flag. You know, again, I, I, I'm basically a sexual libertarian, but I have opinions like everybody else, right? So, it, so what we do is we begin to notice a pattern that the left declares a new public normal, right? They now say, oh, yeah, homosexuality is normal, which it's not. It's abnormal, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, that's that's up for you, to, up to you to decide your right. To, you have a right to have an opinion. You have a right to have a theological opinion. You have a right to have a personal social opinion, all your opinions. And once it becomes public, once they put up the rainbow flags, once they put up the rainbow flags, once they try to teach it to your children in your school, you have the right to your opinion. And that is why this grooming of children, this grooming of children to sexual dysfunction is a revelation of the evil because they're not just saying, oh, you know, you can send your child and we will talk to him about this. They're saying, 
we are forcing your child in public schools to learn this, and they want to do it to children as young as first grade. They, they're not even doing a good job teaching these kids to read, and they want to teach their fascinating sexual ideas to a child. If I put forward a law saying that anyone who did this to a child could be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, sent to prison for life, that, that law would probably get 70% of the vote in America. If you let people vote on it in a, you know, in a hidden ballot, it would probably win by a huge margin. So what they're doing is they're using the power of government to override the will of the people, the sense of the people of, of what's right. Children, and again, it's, it's not the sexuality which is their opinions on sexuality. They're allowed to have their opinions on sexuality. They're sick opinions. They're allowed to have them. It's not that. It's the incursion into other spheres of power, other people's spheres of power. Children are the charges of their parents, right? Parents have a biological, natural, and moral interest in desiring that their children grow up to form families with members of the opposite sex and create more children. That is a basic urge of humankind. It's normal, it's healthy, it's our custom, it's our tradition, and it's what people all through history have desired that their children go on to have children. Now, personally, I would hope if you're raising a child and it turns out that he or she is not suited to that pursuit. It maybe is gay, maybe just, you know, maybe is transgender, though that's incredibly rare. The real transgenderism is incredibly rare. But I, I hope you would be tolerant and loving of that child and make some accommodation for his or her life in your life. That's what I, I would hope for you. That's my opinion, all right? However, however, it's obviously not the first thing you want. The first thing you want is the child to grow up and be normal. We all want this. Everybody wants it. And, and if you don't want it, you're, you yourself are abnormal, right? This is what people want. They want them to fit in and have more children. You have no right to go and teach them not to be like that. You, you can say to parents, you should be tolerant. I just said it. You know, you should be tolerant if your child turns out to be eccentric, offbeat, abnormal. You know, you should be loving and tolerant. But it's not a contradiction to say you want normalcy, and you can live with and tolerate the eccentric and the abnormal. This is the way we've lived all our lives. This is what tolerance is. Tolerance is, is saying, yes, there's a basic custom that we follow that is what normally human life looks like, a house that everyone else lives in, but we have some rooms in that house where we allow people to live their lives, right? I think it is a better thing that we don't arrest gay people anymore like they did when I was a kid. People, Gay people got arrested just for being gay. I think it's better that we don't do that. I think it's better that we tolerate them. But once you start to celebrate it, you have the right to express your opinion about it. And if you take that right away, I begin to suspect that that's the point. The point is to silence people. And why is it always about sex, right? It always is about sex. It, you remember Carl Truman wrote that great book, The Rise and Tri Triumph of the Modern Self, and he details this. I can't go into, I don't have time to go into the entire argument, but it is a, a shot, what is one person called a shotgun wedding of Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. The idea being that these two materialist thinkers could be put together to destroy, to destroy the spiritual goodness of family life and the spiritual intensity of, of, most importantly, motherhood. I mean, you know, motherhood is the most important thing because this is where people get their values. This is how traditions are passed on. This is where it's from mothers that men and women get their humanity, get their humanity and being raised. Obviously, dad's very important, but mothers are the first place you go to to get your humanity. From the very start, radicals have been after motherhood. Have been They want undisciplined, unpredicted, productive, unmothered children who are ready to march into socialist slavery because their lives are in chaos and their internal lives are in chaos. You know, I've quoted this 
many times, but Simone de Beauvoir, one of the proto-feminists, one of the first real feminists, said, no woman should be authorized to stay at home to raise her children. Women should not have that choice precisely because if there is such a choice, too many will make that one. As long as the family and the myth of the family and the myth of maternity and the maternal instinct are not destroyed, women will still be oppressed. Well, if the maternal instinct is a myth, why would so many women make that choice? They're not talking about sex because they are tolerant of sex. They're not tolerant of anything. They don't have any tolerance for anybody but themselves. They're talking about power. They are talking about power. They're trying to to make an an incursion into your sphere of power, which is your right to express your opinion, your right to raise your children, your right to live the way you want to live. Tolerance of eccentrics does not change the norm. It doesn't change the norm to, to say, yeah, if you're gay, you're gay. It's not none of my business. Do what, you, what you're going to do. It does not change the goodness of the norm and the rightness of the norm. All it is is a bid to destroy that norm so that they can install the slavery of socialism instead. I know I look to some of you like a human being, but I'm actually a small business and helping small businesses is is important to me. Constant contact is something I want to tell you about, a digital marketing platform that helps small businesses and nonprofits of all sizes build, grow, and succeed. With email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more, Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new customers, and sell online all from one easy-to-use platform. They've been trusted by millions of businesses to help improve their marketing with a 97% deliverability rate. You can rest assured that your customers and potential customers are getting the right message at the right time. With a simple interface, Constant Contact's easy-to-use platform makes contact management easier than ever. The list growth tools help you find a bigger audience fast. Lead generation landing pages, text to join, and social media ads are proven to grow your list and drive engagement with your brand. With thousands of integrations, you can sync constant contacts tools with the tools you're already using. To start your free digital marketing trial today, visit constantcontact.com. So because I understand the sexual wars to really be power wars, there really are power wars, I see this these hearings about Judge Katanji Jackson as a little differently. Um, and and by the way, I just I know I know you hate to hear this, but you know, a lot of what's happening with this judge, she's she's a l- radical leftist judge, and she is going to get confirmed. And the reason she's going to get confirmed is because we don't have a majority in the Senate, and the reason we don't have a majority in the Senate is because of Trump's babiness about the election, whether you believe the election was stolen or not. He didn't stop it before it happened. He didn't prove it after it happened, but he kept complaining about it. And like that nice Mr. Clavin on the Daily Wire told you, he was going to lose us, Georgia. He lost us, Georgia. And that's why we're going to uh, we're going to have Katanji Jackson on the Supreme Court. I know your emotions are engaged in this and it makes you furious to hear that. But but the politics doesn't care about your emotions. Politics does not care. It's like a train that will run you over if you make the wrong move. And Trump made the wrong move for his own ego, and he was wrong to do it. Now, I was only half impressed uh, with Josh Hawley's attempt to hit her on this child porn stuff. Her, her, uh, he raised this case, United States versus Hawkins. Uh, Jackson sentenced an 18-year-old child porn offender to three months imprisonment, despite sentencing guideline, guidelines recommending up to 10 years. And he read a transcript of this, and here, here is what uh, he said. He read a transcript of their 
of her remarks to him. And this is what he said. He said to him, this is a truly difficult situation. I appreciate that your family's in the audience. I feel so sorry for them and for you and for the anguish this has caused all of you. I feel terrible about the collateral consequences of this conviction. And then you go on to say sex offenders are truly shunned in our society. I'm just trying to figure out, Judge, is he the victim here or the victims the victims? Now, she she had a response. Here's her response. He presented all of his diplomas and certificates and the things that he had done and argued, consistent with what I was seeing in the record, that this particular defendant had gotten into this in a way that was, I thought, inconsistent with some of the other cases that I had seen. So here's the thing. Because of the left, because the left are these groomers, uh, I, I, I suspect, I, have, I, I can suspect that Judge Jackson may be, may be lenient. Uh, toward the grooming of children and the misuse of children. That, that's entirely possible. The problem is on this p- specific issue, she has a point. Uh, Andy McCarthy, the fa- former uh, federal prosecutor, great legal writer over at NRO, National Review, he t- very, very tough on crime. If you locked Andy and a child molester in a, no, a magic no-consequence room, only one of them would come out, and it wouldn't be the child molester. He is not uh, easy about this. But he wrote about this, and he said, you know, sex offenders who prey on children include deviants who rape children and those who force them into sexual acts. And at the other end of the spectrum, sex offenders include people who have never put a hand on a child for sexual purposes, but are consumers of pornographic images, which they possess, transmit, or trade, sometimes for money, but often not. So in other words, they are people with, you know, who have this sickness, but they haven't done anything directly wrong. And the, the court has to make the the law has to make these distinctions. They're hard distinctions. We hate them. Uh, it's ugliness. It is a, it's a terrible, terrible crime to abuse a child for your own pleasure, uh, to abuse a child for any reason whatsoever, but to abuse it for your own pleasure is a sin and it's, and it's an evil. But the law has to make distinctions between people who do this stuff for a living and people who do it to living children and people who look at images. So it wasn't as, it wasn't as uh, hard-hitting as we wanted it to be. It was pure grandstanding and emotionalism, and it's not going to stop her from getting on the court. I was much more impressed with Marsha Blackburn, who is totally possible of making her own sound bites and, uh, you know, doing things for her own purposes, her own political purposes. But that's what they're all like. But she had this moment where she asked, uh, asked her about what a woman was. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word "woman" is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. <laughs> it's just amazing. And was you know you know that um, you know Senator Blackburn was over target because she got a lot of flack. And the, the USA Today ran a piece saying you know science is not so clear about this. Science is absolutely 100% clear. I love the fact that science is 100% clear about what's going to happen to the climate in 100 years, but doesn't know what a woman is. It's the first thing a doctor says to you when your child is born. All he got to do is look, and he knows what it is. Science is right on the money about this. The New York Times actually rewrote her quote. He rewrote her quote saying, I'm a judge, not a biologist, as if she were like saying, you know, these are the things you have to decide. Uh, It went on. It It got worse in a way. 
Do you agree with Justice Ginsburg that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring? Respectfully, I am not familiar with that particular quote or case, okay. so it's hard for me to okay, comment but, as to whether all or right. not. <laughs> I can't even tell if there are physical differences, because if there are physical differences, then that clown who is stealing girls, uh, you know, swimming trophies away from the NCAA, you know, that that then that guy is a guy, you know, as he obviously is. And one of the newspapers, they actually had to tone down his face and try and make it look more feminine. So th- even they know their line. Even they know their line. There's nothing I like better than lying awake on my Helix Sleep mattress because I never sleep, but it's at least uncomfortable because Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. doesn't matter whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, or like me, a non-sleeper, Helix can help. There's no more confusion, no more compromising. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix mattresses have a 10-year warranty. They're made right in America, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, and they'll pick it up for you if you don't like it, but you will. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Now, you too can lie awake wondering, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Now, why is this important? Why is this, besides the fact that it makes it look like a complete dishonest idiot, you know, but but aside from that, our our pal Jenna Ellis uh, wrote over at Newsmax, she said, sex is a protected class under the Civil Rights Act. Title VII and IX are all about women. Legislation protecting women's sports is being signed into law or contemplated in states across the country. How can Judge Jackson provide a competent opinion on these issues if she can't provide a definition to the word woman? You know, this is one of the basic, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are really only two. You know, you're race doesn't really matter, you know, how tall you are, how fat you are, all those things are are secondary. But whether you're a man or a woman defines your life. It is a part of the definition of your life. It is a part of your finding yourself, of finding who you are, finding what your purpose is in life, of, of how you take in life, how you experience life. All of those things are defined by whether you're a man or a woman. And that is why law makes a distinction. It is not wrong for the law to make a distinction between men and women, just like it's not wrong for them to make a distinction between adults and children. There's a difference. There is a difference. There's a reason in Ukraine you can get out of the country if you're a woman because we know that women, first of all, are not going to be involved in the fighting in the same way, and we know that they are there to protect the children, and they are the future of Ukraine. If they don't get them out, there is no future of Ukraine. This was a really important way thing to confront, and Ted Cruz was also right uh, to confront her on CRT, uh, a book that came out while in a, at a school that was being sent around a school uh, pushing CRT that she, where she was on the board of the school. If you look at the Georgetown Day School's curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race theory. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby uh, by I- Ibram Kendi, and... There are portions of this book that that, that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book, they recommend to babies confess 
when being racist. Do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. And again, she was not going to answer this question. And that is also important because civil rights law has been a huge, huge defining factor in the last 50 years. When you say to companies, you can be sued if if you even look like uh, you're not hiring enough black people, even if you're not doing it because they're black, if you just happen to be doing it because the best, cat- uh, best candidates are white, you can be sued for that. So this is a, a real problem. If you can't define, if, if you can be called racist simply because you're white, CRT basically says that you are racist simply by the on the basis of your being white. White people are racist. CRT is racism. It is racism. And if it becomes law, if it becomes part of the thinking in law, then our law will become racist. It has been racist in the past. It will become racist again. And of course, the argument of CRT is, well, there's good racism and there's bad racism. And the answer to that is simply, no, there's not. There is only bad racism. And you can be a bad racist if you're black. You can be a bad racist if you're white. The reason, you know, these are the basic principles of our country. These are the basic principles of our country. And and those principles are exactly what the left is trying to overturn. Remember, the attack on normalcy the attack on tradition is an incursion into the people's sphere of power, the right to speak, your right to have a family life, your right to have a private opinion, your right to make that private opinion public when the issue becomes public. All of those things are part of your rights, and all of those things are the targets you're trying to take away, and all of them right now are being defended by the Supreme Court, and that uh, defense can be taken away. Right now, we have a majority, but, you know, uh, Clarence Thomas is in the hospital. God love him. I hope he gets better. But, you know, the, these things change, and over time, the court can shift back left, and then our rights will be forfeit if we can't define what a woman is, if we can't say that racism is wrong on all uh, on all counts. You know, this woman was paid for, bought and paid for by dark money from the left. The right is always complaining about the dark money on the right. They have so much more dark money pouring into these things. Uh, they're, def- what is it called? Defend justice, demand justice uh, is pouring so much more money than the right ever pours into any of these things. And obviously, this is a, you know, this is a bad candidate for us, it is, and she's going to get confirmed. And this is the reason, this is the reason that I defend reality in politics, realism in politics. When people pound their fist and make speeches about, well, the election was stolen and therefore this and therefore that, what I say is, yeah, look, you lost Georgia, you lost the majority, now you're going to lose the court, you're going to lose a seat on the court. It's tough. It is tough to control yourself. It is tough to control your anger. It is tough to control your emotions, but you've got to do it. And, you know, I, I, I feel that because we don't have the because we don't have the majority to stop this confirmation, the right is basically putting on a kabuki show and it's not going to do a damn thing about this appointment. It's nice to see people finally getting out more and doing stuff again, and that means it's a good time to get in touch with Priceline. Since 1998, Priceline has been the best way for travelers to book the trip they want at the price they can afford. Priceline saves consumers more than $1 billion every year so that their customers never have to miss the moments that matter. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels. You can also get exclusive deals on rental cars and flights. And when you save more, 
you can do more. That means more walks on the beach, more talking to strangers, more fun in the sun. There are few things that feel as good as knowing you saved money with the discounts, Priceline offers. You get that feeling a lot because when you save more, you can enjoy more and do more. At Priceline, every trip is a big deal and a good deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the best deals that will help you get more out of your life. So I have got to read you this New York Times op-ed from Knucklehead Row, the op-ed page of the New York Times. It, it is, it's amazing, and it's amazing what it tells us about the sexual state of, the, the, the outcome of this sexual uh, um, abnormality that they're pushing, this new vision of gender that they're pushing. You know, it's funny, in one way, I think that we're actually seeing, what we're seeing is this, the leftist idea collapse. We don't know it yet because it's being propped up by CEO eunuchs like the guy at Disney. These guys will not stand out. You know, this is this is something that the the Ayn Rand crowd never really thought about. The all capitalism all the time crowd never thought about. And as you know, I'm a a vibrant capitalist. I love capitalism, but capitalism comes after values. Values come first. Religion comes first, actual worship of God comes first, then comes values, then comes capitalism, you know, then comes freedom because you have to have values to have freedom. And what people didn't realize, the all capitalism all the time right didn't realize that corporations and the left have a lot uh, of interests in common. I frequently said that the old days when we were a manufacturing economy, uh, that the realism required of manufacturing made corporations more uh, freedom-oriented, made them more reason-oriented, made them more capitalistic. But now we're in an information economy, which is a totally different thing because information uh, is can be either the truth or it can be what people want to hear or it can be what you want to tell them, right? All those different things uh, can be information and different there are different ways of making money. And the rich and the leftists have a lot of interlocking uh, interest. I've talked about the left wants mom out of the home so they can pervert and mutilate her children. That's why they want them out of the home. So they can take over. If if the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, they want to rock the cradle because they want to rule the world. The left wants mom out of the home so they can get her into uh, the workforce and cut her husband's salary in half because once you double the workforce, right? People keep saying, "Well, why, why haven't workers, uh, you know, salaries gone up in decades?" Well, they haven't gone up in decades because women flooded the market, and now dad is no longer the guy who brings home the bacon. So now we don't have to worry about that anymore, and you can basically not give people raises. I mean, feminism had a lot to do th- do with that. Uh, you know, the left wants to take away the power of the little guy and the power of the family because that gets in the way of their grand plans. The family, the little guy, that's not what they want. They want the government to run everything. Business wants to get away from the power of the little guy and the power of the family uh, because that also gets in the way of their plans. Why should he get to choose? You know, all of these guys like Amazon, he gets rich off the little guy saying, oh, great, I can have books delivered to my house. It's me, you know, going, this is great. I press a button and I get any book I want. It's delivered to my house. And then he forgets, right? Once he has all that money, I'm the little guy. I get in the way. So he wants to get rid of my opinion and just take it off his website. And the family gets in the, family gets in the way of the left, obviously, because of the sexual. Uh, they want to sell. They want to take power by selling us sexual immorality. The sexual immorality is just a, a way of getting us distracted from uh, the values that 
get in their way, right? They don't they don't really care about gay people. They don't care about black people. They don't care about any of that stuff. They just care about getting us at each other's throats and getting us distracted by our pleasures. But the family also, you know, gets in the way of of advertisers and capitalists who want to sell us sex and want to use sex to sell us stuff. Uh, You know, all of these things, values get in the way of business, right? The left wants unfettered immigration because they want to dilute the population with people who are not dedicated to freedom, who don't have the uh, background to be dedicated to freedom. Business wants unfettered immigration because they want the cheap workers. So there's a lot of ways in which business and the left uh, are together. And again, so often, so often, it is moms who stand in the way. It is moms who say, you know what? Money's nice. Fame is nice. But more important is my family. (laughs) More important are my people. I want my people to have good values. I want my people to treat each other well. I want my people to live like I think that they should live. And And my husband's role is to support the forming of souls work that I'm doing here. And that's why, uh, you know, he's doing what he's doing. Women are always in the way, moms specifically, moms specifically are in the way of all of these people. And obviously it's moms who show up and say, you know, don't sell my kid that garbage on TV. Take that off television. You know, I, even my mom did that. You know, <laughs> she would she would write to advertisers and say, hey, you know, take this off TV. I don't want my kids watching this and I don't want it in cartoons and all this stuff. Uh, and, and women also are a soft target. Young women especially are very credulous and to the point of gullibility. Why? Because that's the business model of human reproduction. If women were not credulous, they would never sleep with us. I mean, look at us. Would you sleep with us? Of course not. No, you have to be able to convince women to, to give birth, to have babies, to do all these things. And women, you know, they're, they're social creatures and they can be uh, bullied by a social movement. They can be told that, oh, you shouldn't think this, you shouldn't think that, and a lot of them will listen. So this is this wonderful article in the New York Times. This is what this article is about. Now, I have to add one more thing before I read this article, is I get letters from women all the time who say, you encouraged me to stay home with my kids, to have new respect for my role as a homemaker, to have new respect for my role as a wife, and I've never been happier. I've never gotten the opposite letter. I've never gotten a letter who said, you told me to stay home and now I'm miserable, you know? And I don't tell anybody what to do. I'm not telling you to stay home. I'm telling you to follow your heart. I'm simply telling you to follow your heart and not what people tell you your heart should say. That's the only thing I'm actually telling you. However, I get these letters from women who are happier because they do these things. The New York Times in the op-ed section, Knucklehead Row, is one woman after another talking about how miserable they are, but how important it is that they should remain miserable so they can maintain their left-wing point of view. It is amazing, the misery, the fumes of misery that come out of the New York Times op-eds page, especially from women. All right, you know I love the Ring video doorbell. When anyone comes to your door, you can see them wherever you are, traveling at home. You can talk to them on your phone, find out what's going on. I keep saying, well, Ring has made, now Ring makes an alarm, an alarm system. But now Ring has gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. Ring Alarm Pro is a next level security system. CNET calls Ring Alarm Pro a giant leap for home security. After using it, I think you will agree. Ring Alarm Pro helps protect your entire home and the Wi-Fi it runs on. With Ring Alarm Pro, Ring combined a home security system and a Wi-Fi router. So this helps protect your home and your network. 
now you'll have a secure network with a crazy strong signal for all the devices across your home. And I know you've got a lot of devices we all have with a Ring Protect Pro subscription. It's an amazing deal. You get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call and can request emergency services. You may not have known it, but it's true. Ring has an award winning alarm, and now they've gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. To learn more, go to ring.com forward slash Clavin. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. Anyone steps into your home, shout immediately. How do you spell Clavin? If he knows, call the cops. Michelle Goldberg is one of the most leftist knuckleheads on Knucklehead Row. She is a routine leftist. She never says anything. I mean, during the Trump administration, I thought they were going to have to scrape her off the wall. She was just absolutely hysterical. She has a a an op-ed about how maybe sex positivity isn't such a good, good thing for women. Sex positivity being basically no values, no morals, just sex is good. And she has read a book uh, called Rethinking Sex, A Provocation by the Washington Post columnist Christine Emba. And she says, I found it bold and compelling, even when I disagreed with it. It's important that she disagrees with it because some places it's almost uh, you know, flirting with conservatism and she cannot say that that's a good thing. But she says, Emba's argument is that sexual liberation, as currently conceived, has made people, and especially women, miserable. It's created, ironically, new strictures and secret shames, at least in certain elite milieus, around, quote, catching Feelings. It's a terrible thing to have feelings when you're having sex, hating casual sex, and having vanilla sexual taste. These are all things that now leftist women are ashamed of. And here's the part that I just love. Says one anecdote from the book illustrates the perversity, so to speak, because we don't want to use the word perversity, because that, you know, that's a, a terrible thing. The perversity of the current moment. The author Emba describes meeting a woman at a Washington party who, t- who tells her about the man she's been dating. In most ways, he's great, but he chokes me during sex. He chokes me during sex, question mark. He chokes me during sex, (laughs) the woman confides. She'd consented, but she didn't like it. She didn't like being strangled. (laughs) Women, so judgmental. She was so unsure about whether her feelings were reasonable that she turned to Emba, a stranger, for advice. The taboo on questioning someone else's sexual preference was that strong, writes Emba. (laughs) <laughs> now think about this. Leftist women, leftist women are so trapped in the taboo of sexual tolerance that they can't even say they don't like being strangled. <laughs> yeah, I'm going out with this guy. His name is Jack the Ripper, and what he likes is disemboweling me. But I, you know, is that wrong? Is that wrong? Is that should I really say that that's wrong? The woman can't say she dislikes being strangled. And Michelle Goldberg is kind of scratching her head and saying, well, you know, there's got to be a way forward without being, we don't want to be conservative. That would be wrong. We don't want to be conservative, but maybe maybe we shouldn't be strangled, right? She says the problem. And, and Michelle Goldberg says she's kind of out of this because she married young. <laughs> so she's, she's happy, right? Because she got married. The problem, she says, is that many women are still embarrassed by their own desires, particularly when they are emotional rather than physical. The Ember writes that sex positivity champions the primacy of appetite. Our wants are above reproach and worthy of fulfillment no matter what. Her book is full of examples of people suppressing their longings. She interviews many women who seem to feel entitled to one-night stands, but not to kindness. Everything, what she's saying, she doesn't know she's saying, and she can't say it, everything they believe is wrong. 
everything they believe is wrong. And it starts with women. You know, I remember when they were arguing in the Supreme Court about abortion, there were leftists on Twitter saying, oh, well, if we can't have abortions, then men should have to stay around and take care of their children. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, yeah, that, you know, come on, come on, you're almost there, you're almost there. So they, I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. They cannot even say they don't want to be strangled. Please don't strangle me while having sex. And if they start to say, well, it's wrong, you know, it's, it's just wrong. It's wrong to hurt me while, while we're having sex. It's wrong not to, to use my body and not to care about me. It's wrong to um, impregnate me and not stay around to take care of that child and just give me some money to go get an abortion. That's wrong. Once they start saying that, the whole thing falls apart. It's like a string on a cheap suit. You pull it and the whole suit unravels. And I don't have to tell you this, and I don't want to preach, but so much of this goes back to God. You know, the, the funny thing about this is that nothing we believe, nothing we truly believe makes sense without him. We don't want to believe. People don't want to believe. They think science has disproved God. None of that's true, but it doesn't matter. They think it's, it's just not modern. It's just not cool. It's just not hip. But all the things we believe, you know, all men are created equal. All men are cr not created equal. You know, men are different. Some men are far superior to other men, but they're all equal in the sight of God. The only way that makes sense is, is if there's a God. We say we have rights. We don't have any rights. If, if those rights don't come from God, they don't come from anywhere. They are indefensible. We cannot defend our right unless we say we were endowed by our creator with those rights. And you know what? What women do, what women do is a spiritual task. What moms do is a spiritual task. And if the whole world is material, then what men do is all important. You know, men are the masters of material. They build stuff. They make stuff. They or they can't even talk to each other without stuff. You know, we don't, we don't men don't even discuss, you know, thing, things unless they're discussing stuff. But women, what women do is a spiritual task. And if there's no God, if there's no spirituality, yes, that task doesn't matter. They can't, they can't even say, don't strangle me. You know, the, I was talking before about violence and sex being a reliving of trauma. That's what people do with trauma. They relive it over and over again. They get trapped in a trauma loop. We all do this. All of us have had childhood traumas and we keep going back. If, if our parents abused us, we look for people to abuse us in our life. We've all done this. You have to break that chain. But the first trauma of human life is the fall of man. The first trauma of getting, is getting kicked out of Eden because we try to seize for ourselves the power to determine what is right and what is wrong. We try to take that right away from God. We are reenacting that trauma again in the form of this leftist revolution. And I know America is not Eden, but I don't want to get kicked out of here either. Many of you write to me and say, my car doesn't run and my dating life stinks. And I can solve both problems for you simply by saying rockauto.com. When you say rockauto.com, you prove to the women in your life that you know how to get parts for your car so your car will be able to run, right? And you can get it right on your computer. You don't have to pretend in your car that doesn't run to pretend to drive down to an auto parts store to have some imaginary guy look at his imaginary computer and not know what he's doing. You can go right on and use their incredibly easy-to-use catalog with their great prices and get car and body parts from hundreds of of manufacturers at rockauto.com. Also, you get to say rockauto.com, which drives the women nuts. Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. They're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts 
Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And please write Clavin in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know I sent you and so the girls know that you know what's going on. It's Clavin. So we had uh, Megan Basham on next week in our last week in our culture section, and I wanted to return to something we were talking about before that. I was talking about the decline of our culture uh, in terms of the arts, not just the decline in our culture in terms of how we live, but the decline of our culture in terms of the arts. That doesn't mean that our arts are definitely in decline. They're almost gone. There's nothing really good uh, being produced by anybody new. There's no new stuff that's coming out yet. Uh, but that doesn't mean it won't come back. I'm just, you know, a few years ago, we had this flowering of television. Uh, what happened to television is as the venues increased, as all these cable stations and streaming stations came on, they were short of uh, content. And so they started taking any content they could find. And that meant that revolutionary content, uh, like The Sopranos, the Shield, Breaking Bad, Dexter, all of these things went on that wouldn't have been accepted before because they just were desperate for content. Basically, it gave a lot of male uh, offbeat writers the chance to talk about the state of manhood and therefore the state of morality uh, in in the world at that moment, you know, the troubled state of, of men. And I'll, I'll say this and you can yell at me, but speaking generally, generalizing, Men are better at the arts than women are. Men are better at the arts than women are for the simple reason that men go into the arts to, to satisfy the urge for creation, which women can so satisfy by creating actual human beings. Men can't do that, so they create imitations of human beings, which are the arts, and uh, we fake it. We're faking it and, uh, and by making art. And so that urge to create art, and the, the um, fever with which men create art is just stronger, uh, you know, than, than what women is. The same reason men are funnier than women is because we have to impress women uh, <laughs> with our wit. So male writers came in. We had a golden age of television that is subsiding now. Uh, the left has destroyed a lot of the arts with their wokeism. And you'll notice that the rise in television was a triumph of writing. It was the writers, because writers were more powerful in television than they were in the movies. Now, I know that I am prejudiced because I'm a writer, uh, I, but I love the visual arts. I do love the visual arts. I love painting, especially, especially Renaissance uh, era and, and after. Uh, but a society that is pr based primarily on the visual arts will be a stupid society. If that's the center of it, it will be an uneducated society because the arts don't have, because visual arts don't have reason. You know, words can convey emotion, but they can also convey reason. And so in the Middle Ages, and the worst of the Middle Ages, you had the visual arts because they were the, what they called the gospel of the people. People could go on and look at the pictures because they couldn't read the book. But once people started to read, once you had the printing press, very rapidly, society became a lot smarter. Now, the movies have been our great art form in the last century. In the 20th century, the movies were the great American art form. But they're visual at their core. See, they started as silent films, which are almost all visual, all about the images, all about the faces. Uh, but when sound came in, briefly, you had a golden age of movies because suddenly you could talk and they started to enlist playwrights to write movies. And in the in the great movies, I, I always say that the pinnacle of the movie industry was 1939, uh, but you know that was the year that all the Oscar winners were also the most popular, all the Oscar nominees were also the most popular films and also the greatest films ever made. So you had Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz, Wuthering Heights, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And with the exception of Stagecoach, which is a very visual film, uh, these are all, it's not that they're not beautiful visuals, Visually, but these are all films with a great deal of language in them and a great deal of talking. The script in those days, the typical script was 250 pages long. 
This typical script today is a hundred, between a hundred and a hundred and twenty pages long. When I started writing, when I started in the movie business, scripts were a hundred and twenty, and now they're closer to a hundred because it becomes more and more visual. Visual. Alfred Hitchcock was responsible for a lot of that. So movies become more visual. It's not that they're not beautiful. It's not that they're not wonderful to watch. It's not that they're not emotionally moving. But a lot of times they have become shallow. And this conflict between the shallowness of movies and their beauty and their excitement and their visceral uh, energy is embodied in the work of Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg is a brilliant, brilliant director. But it's, it's interesting well, there's a book, a really good book, about the second wave of great movies, which came in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's called Easy Riders, uh, Raging Bulls, How the Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll Generation Saved Hollywood uh, by a guy named Peter Biskin. And he blames Spielberg for being so much of a businessman. Spielberg and Lucas, who made Star Wars, uh, he said that every after, after Spielberg and Lucas, every studio movie became a B-movie. But Spielberg's mastery of visual culture was captured by Peter Benchley, who's quoted in the book. Peter Benchley was the author of the novel Jaws. And the novel Jaws, I've read it, it's, it's kind of a junky novel, and the movie is a great movie, but Benchley was unhappy with the movie. And what he said of Spielberg, he said, Spielberg will one day be known as the greatest second unit director in America. And I agree with this. A second unit director is, a guy, is the guy who you send off to film action. The main director doesn't go off to film the battle scene. You have a second unit director who does that. Spielberg is a genius when it comes to filming action, when putting action on screen. He is one of the greatest directors who has ever lived in doing that. It's just amazing. He is also a child as an artist. Now, I don't know him personally. I don't know anything about him. I'm not attacking him personally. But his insight into life is the insight of a little boy who was bullied uh, and really doesn't understand the world very much at all. So if you watch Spielberg's earliest films, they are which they're essentially children's films, and they are among the greatest films Hollywood has ever made. Jaws, one of them. E.T. is one of them. E.T. is the Christ story as told by a child, right? If you watch E.T., it starts with his two fingers giving the blessing. Uh, and then, of course, there's the scene where he dies and is resurrected. Uh, and of course, you know, Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, he says, I'm, I am leaving, but God will send the, uh, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete will come and guide you from, from here on in. I have to leave in order for God to do that. And E.T., you'll remember, says to Elliot as he leaves, I'm leaving, but I will be, I will be right here. And he presses Elliot on the forehead and Elliot uh, starts because he knows that now E.T. is within him. The Holy Spirit is within him. It is, the, it is the story of Jesus Christ. And you can say, well, it materializes that story by making Jesus an alien and making the power of heaven an alien power. But that's what fairy tales do, right? The, the fairy tales put our hopes and dreams and our spiritual feelings into physical form. So it is a fairy tale. Uh, and he does the same thing in sp talking about something else that he knows about, which is artistic inspiration. Uh, in uh, another one of his great films, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Close Encounters has Richard Dreyfuss as a man, the, the spaceships go over and they implant an idea in Dreyfus's head, the idea of this mesa where they're going to land their spaceship. And he becomes obsessed with this idea. And essentially, it's a metaphor for the arts. This is a guy who has had an inspiration. Now he's become obsessed with this idea, and he has to work it out. And there's a famous scene, a great scene, where Dreyfus takes his potatoes, his mashed potatoes, at the dinner table and starts to turn them into this mesa. <laughs> well, I guess you've noticed something it's a little strange with Dad. It's okay, though. I'm still Dad. 
I can't describe it. What I'm feeling. And what I'm thinking. This means something. This is important. <laughs> and uh, as, a, as an artist and as a family man, I can tell you that is a very, very accurate scene, except for the tears because I'm not a wuss. But, <laughs> but still, it's a very, very accurate scene of having an idea in your mind. It obsesses you. It takes you over. I, you know, why aren't you paying attention? Why aren't you doing the things you're supposed to do? Why is it? Why are you staring out the window that, like that and not doing anything? This, because this means something. I have to do this. It is a really good movie. It's a brilliant movie. Now, Spielberg grows up. He does these things. He becomes the richest, most famous director on earth. And he wants to make his statements. His statements about real life. His statements about the things that haunt him and bother him. Like all artists want to do. And all artists grow up and they move into new things. And they're bad movies. Schindler's List is one of my least favorite American films not because it's not beautifully made. It is gorgeously made, not because it is not full of emotion. It is full of emotion. However, it is about a real event. The real event is the Holocaust. And it is not, it's about, a, you know, obviously, you know, it's about Oscar Schindler who saved about 1,200 people during the Holocaust. Of the 6 million Jews who were slaughtered in, in a, an upsurge of evil that is almost unfathomable to us today. We actually don't know anything about that, that level of evil, even though we're going through an upsurge of evil uh, in this sexual grooming of children. It's not the same thing as the Holocaust. If this were a little movie, a little low-budget film about an act of heroism in the Holocaust, it wouldn't bother me. But because Spielberg dominates Hollywood and because he is uh, this huge businessman, it is released as the American film about the Holocaust. And so the American film about the Holocaust is this sentimental story of a guy saving lives as if goodness were at the heart of the Holocaust instead of evil, as if the evil were not overwhelming. If you want to see the movie that is the great, Amer it's not an American movie, the great movie about the Holocaust, watch the lengthy documentary Shoah. You have to watch it over several nights, but it's still, everybody should watch Shoah because that is a story about what really happened. And there's no video in it. It's not disgusting. It's just people talking into the camera. And it is an amazing, gripping video. Every night I watched it, I had a nightmare. Every single night because it was so powerful, such a powerful depiction of evil. This is a sentimental Disney version of evil, and it even includes something that I found incredibly offensive, uh, a place where the Nazi, uh, played by Ray Fiennes, tells you, gives you this crappy little Freudian idea about why the Nazis hate the Jews. The Jews represent femininity to them, and uh, they hate the feminine in themselves, so they want to kill the femininity in themselves. This is a fundamental uh, belittling of the power of evil, a fundamental misunderstanding of what uh, evil is. And he repeats it in Saving Private Ryan when the Jew kills the Nazi, and it's clearly a sex scene. He clearly uh, is, is raping the Jew with his knife when he kills him. It is a, an absolutely uh, shallow and stupid scene. And, it, and it's a, a child scene. You know, the, the, one, the other one that gets me, perfect example is, is Saving Private Ryan. Sa he is such a good second unit director that the opening of Save it, Saving Private Ryan is epoch-making. It is a, a battle scene that no battle scene shot after that opening D-Day battle scene by Steven Spielberg has been 
unaffected by it. It is it changed the way violence is filmed on screen. That is how great a second unit director uh, Steven Spielberg is. The rest of the movie is childish. It is all Tom Hanks going around explaining why we have to kill people. Well, we have to take this town to get that town and we have to kill the Nazi or he comes back and kills the Jew. You know, it's as if it's, it's like a child explaining why there's war, why some wars have to be fought. You know, it's like we know there's war. We know some wars have to be fought. We want to see the depth and interest, and it's just the the little boyification of war. You want to see a guy, this is this, like I said, he's like a bullied little boy who cannot face the fact that violence can be a good thing, or, uh, or even though it's always a bad thing, it can also be the best thing you've got. There's a scene that drove me crazy in his fun version of uh, War of the Worlds. Remember, the Martians invade, the little boy wants to grow up and get away from Tom Cruise, who's his father, and he... Uh, runs away to get to the battle, and Cruz wants to stop him, but he has to go back and take care of his daughter. Here's a little clip. Not letting you do this. You can hate me. You can hate me, me go. but I love you. Let me Not go. letting you do this. Dad. Now, that line, I want to see this, drove me crazy because he doesn't want to see it. That's what, a, that's what a little bullied filmmaker wants to do. He wants to see the war. A little boy wants, who's growing up and wants to break away from his father, he wants to fight. I have to be in this fight. That's what he wants. But Spielberg can't do that because he's a child. He just made West Side Story, and a lot of people on the right were saying, oh, it was woke. It wasn't woke. It was very nice, lovely, but there's no sexual tension in it because he hasn't reached puberty yet. The thing is, He's, he, his film is not woke. I didn't find West Side Story woke, but wokeness is based in this childish view of life. It is based in this idea that, oh, it's, it's icky that there's violence and, oh, it's icky that there's sex and we have to do something about it. You know, we have to kind of take away all these values. And we have, it, it is a child's view of how they're going to fix the world by getting rid of the reality of the world. I'm not blaming Spielberg on this, but for, the, for this, but for the American arts to recover it is going to have to deal with language, and it can't deal with language as long as wokeness is enforced, it, because language is a vehicle for telling the truth. It's a vehicle for telling not just the emotional truth, but also the truth that is based on reason, because if emotion is separated from reason, it becomes separated from reality. That is what is happening in our culture. That's why our culture is in a lull. It doesn't have to remain this way. It doesn't have to stay this way. It can come back, but we're gonna have to talk about some of the ways in which it will come back, and we will do that in the future. Now, many of you say to me, Clavin, you're the best looking host on the Daily Wire, but why is your show always in such chaos? It's because we didn't use ZipRecruiter when we hired the clowns who run this place. <laughs> if you need to add more employees to your team, use ZipRecruiter. Their matching technology helps you find the right people for your roles fast. Gee, I wish we'd done this. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. Then... 
It presents these candidates to you. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job, which encourages them to apply faster. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the U.S. based on GQ ratings. ZipRecruiter's technology is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Find the right employees for your workplace with ZipRecruiter. Gee, I'm sorry we didn't do this. Try it for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. It's the smartest way to hire. Don't forget to hire someone who knows how to spell Clavin because it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. So as some of you may know, Harry's Razors pulled their advertising from our shows because we believe in basic biology. And they did it at the behest of a two-follower Twitter account. By publicly condemning our shows, Harry's attacked not just us, but all of you. And that's why Jeremy Boring, God King of the Daily Wire, has taken it upon himself to create his own razor company. The response has been enormous, with Jeremy's razors even trending on Twitter. We're taking the power out of the hands of woke corporations like Harry's, and this is your chance to join us. Cut woke corporate America down to size. We're done capitulating to corporations that hate us. It's time we build our own world instead. We're already doing that with our news, our books, our movies and shows, and now we're doing it with our very own shaving company, Jeremy's Razors. Check out this commercial. Do you remember when there were two genders and only one and a half of them had to shave their mustaches? I'm Jeremy Boring, CEO and God King of The Daily Wire. Harry's Razors used to advertise on our shows. They're a great product and we were happy to do it. That's before some peon who works for me went and said that boys are boys and girls are girls. And that was just too much for Harry's. And they dropped their ads from our network because of what they called values misalignment. Harry's Razors doesn't want your business. I do. Then buy my new razor instead. Behold, Jeremy's Razors. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're fabulous. Our country's in trouble. Conservatives are being canceled by Hollywood, the media, universities, and now Harry's Razors. Stop giving your money to woke corporations who don't think you deserve their product. Give it to me instead. Head over to IHateHarrys.com and pre-order your Founders Series razor and shaving cream set today. Unless you're the kind of man who teaches his daughter to shave her beard. All right. Well, that may not only be the pinnacle of the Daily Wire's uh, cultural contribution. That's probably the peak of Jeremy's life. It's all downhill from here. So... Head to IHateHarrys.com, IHateHarrys.com, to order your razors today. It's it's true. It's serious. It's funny, but it's serious. Don't give your money to corporations who hate you. Give it to us. If you haven't heard yet, Matt Walsh has been working on a top-secret project for over a year. It's called What is a Woman? This could be the most important question and film of 2022. Take a look at this incredible sneak peek. I have traveled all over the world for the past year asking one simple question. What is a woman? What is a woman? What is it? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> People are laughing, is that, is that a dumb question? <laughs> I've been asking everybody this and almost nobody can answer it. What is a woman? What is a woman? That's a great I question. Like... If one person could tell me what a woman is, Congressman, thank you for, for being here. I think this interview is over. Let's turn off the cameras. I just wanted to know what is a woman. And you're not going to find out. It's not a complicated question. 
<laughs> Walsh is definitely the second funniest host on The Daily Wire. He fearlessly and unflinchingly questions the logic of a movement that has taken aim at women and children. If you want to join the fight, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and enter code what is a woman for 25% off your membership. The fight is for everything, is for the truth itself. What is a woman coming in 2022? So one aspect of this, all this uh, sexual dysfunction that we don't think about enough is that it actually weakens us in the world. You know, NATO has done a fairly good job of coming together and imposing sanctions on Putin. Uh, But a lot of the people in the world have not wanted to join us. And one of the reasons they don't want to join us is they see us putting the the economic screws on Putin. And they think they don't want America putting the economic screws on them if what we stand for is the Green New Deal and sexual abnormality. They don't want to do that. They don't want to join in with us. One of the best takes I have heard on the war in Ukraine and Putin is from Kurt Schlichter. Kurt Schlichter, I'm deeply ashamed to say, is a friend of mine. We all have dark areas in our life. This is one of mine. Uh, He's a senior columnist at townhall.com. He is a murderous Los Angeles uh, trial lawyer who should probably be hunted down and stopped. Uh, A retired United States Army colonel with a degree from the Army War College. Not many people know that he single-handedly won the Cold War. And his new nonfiction book is called We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. Uh, It's available for pre-order on Amazon now. So when you go over to pre-order The Truth and Beauty, you can get this as well. And we'll be talking to him about that. Kurt, it's good to see you. Hey, great to be here. So you wrote a column uh, that I just thought was absolutely terrific. I will read just a brief piece of it. It says, don't believe anything anyone tells you. Most of these insta experts on intra-Slavic conflict know absolutely Squatsky. Moreover, their remarkably dumb observations and credulous acceptance of conventional wisdom, which is proven long on conventional and short on wisdom, are being presented without any kind of strategic context. Now, I've hated almost everybody's take on Ukraine except yours. You tra- train, before we talk about what your take is, you you trained soldiers in Ukraine. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like and what you learned from that? Uh, sure. Um, I, you know, I was active duty. I went California National Guard for many years, including deploying to Kosovo, where one of our units in multinational brigade East was a mixed Polish-Ukrainian uh, battalion. So we had those guys with us. Uh, California is what's called Partners for Peace. And we would go to Ukraine and we would train the guys. And we started in 98. I ended up doing that four times. Uh, and they were long, usually long training missions, like three to four weeks. Uh, and I would go out there and I would uh, uh, work with them closely. The final one, I, when I was a senior guy, I was uh, kind of the exercise commander. And uh, I got a chance to work pretty closely with them. Uh, they're very interesting. I like to, uh, uh, for the nerds out there, I like to uh, put in Lord of the Rings terms. So you remember the dwarves, right? <laughs> yeah. Not super subtle, but kind of tough. Yeah. And, and they drank a lot. That's the that's the Ukrainians. <laughs> they're you know they um, they're an interesting uh, folks. They are an imperfect people, uh, but uh, I, I I have uh, you know I have respect for them. They uh, are not uh, as uh, coordinated as American forces. And, and when I talk about coordination, I mean coordinating battlefield operating systems. People think that uh, uh, the military is you get a tank and you drive the tank and attack people and shoot guns, or you have a bunch of infantry guys and. They charge people. And that's not how it is. A, a, a proper modern peer level military is a symphony where you have all these various instruments and you're conducting them. 
You have fires, which include missiles and artillery and drones and aircraft, and you have maneuver, and those are things moving around. And they have all sorts of support elements, and you've got to put them all together. And at the same time, you're getting ISR, uh, uh, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, and you're integrating that. It's, it's very much a symphony uh, rather than uh, a garage band. <laughs> the, uh, the Ukrainians are a little beyond a garage band, they're like when Metallica goes, "Hey, let's uh, you know, let's get a string quartet to play on one of our tracks." The American is, America is like the New York Symphony, right? Are, are you surprised that they're doing as well as they're doing? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, I am because uh, when I was there training them, I remember saying, "Why are we got training them on like anti armor ambush and how to use uh, javelins?" Because they want us to train them on peacekeeping. Because that was really useful. The Ukrainians would come and make supply a battalion to peacekeep with us back when peacekeeping was a fad. And I said, oh, we can't do that. Ah, Russians will never invent. Well, uh, apparently somebody changed that between uh, about 2008 or 2009 when I went there the last time and now because they've gotten really good at it. Now, one of the things you should do when you're watching the videos, oh, hey, hey take everything with a grain of salt. Everything's propaganda. But the most interesting stuff to me is just footage, raw footage of infantrymen tromping along. And you see every other one's got an anti-armor weapon system, a Javelin, an N-Laws, an AT-4 something, uh, a German Panzerfaust. And everybody else is carrying spare ammo. These mobile groups uh, are proving deadly, especially because uh, of some of the problems with the Russians. Russians are roadbound for a couple reasons. First, it's mud season. They waited too long, ground's not frozen. And that's why the uh, when you look at the maps, it's all these little tendrils, they're following roads. Mm. They control up to like 200 meters off each side of the road. Mm. Uh, that gives the Ukrainians a great opportunity to come in and uh, uh, conduct the anti-armor ambushes. And you've seen some footage of that. Also to spot artillery, send drones in. Um, the the war for the Ukraine the war it, this war is not going to be run won by the Ukrainians matching mechanized force against mechanized force there, there are just too many Russians uh, it is going to uh, uh, I I think it's settled into a war of attrition I think the Ukrainians have the advantage they're fighting on their home turf which they know it's their home turf which we all know home field advantage there's a morale advantage there. Uh, and the Russians, I don't think, want to be there. And you can tell these are not all top-line troops. Russians typically, and I keep hearing people say, well, the Russians always said their worst troops in first. Okay, I was in the Cold War. I grew up learning how to destroy Russian motor rifle regiments when they were attacking my unit. They're going to send good guys first. Second guy, uh, they're going to bypass hard points and try and get very deep in your back. The second wave is going to reduce some of those hard points and keep pushing. Third wave is going to take out the hard points. Third wave's not going to be the greatest guys. Hmm. And that's kind of where we are now. The really good guys, uh, they're Spetsnaz types, uh, they're airborne guys. You know, they jumped in ahead, uh, particularly when they did their own version of Market Garden. You might know it from the movie A Bridge Too Far. They jumped ahead to try and catch, grab that uh, airfield north of Kiev, Hostomel which is something Americans would totally do. But the problem was the same one that uh, uh, faced the British third, uh, uh, I, I believe it was 30 Corps in uh, Operation Market Garden, uh, the bridge too far. There was one road down and the Ukrainians made it very hard for them to pass, destroyed the uh, uh, Russians at the airfield 
and the Russians didn't get that jump that they wanted, but it killed a lot of their good guys. Did so you, a lot of their good guys got taken out at the beginning. So I so uh, now it's kind of second tier guys. So now on Fox News, there are people going on, sen- senators going on and saying that the Ukrainians can win this war. Does that make sense to you? And what would it mean? Well, uh, well, that see, as a civilian, you've got the right question. What does win mean? What's my objective? <laughs> I always want to know what my objective is. I, I same thing in law. You know, I tell my I, I get young lawyers. I go, what's our what's our goal? Let's win the case. No, it's to uh, attain the objective that the client wants. We got to figure out what we want, Andrew. We what what do we want, and what's realistic? Do we think uh, we're going to uh, the Ukrainians are going to push every Russian off Ukrainian soil? I think that's a big ask. Uh, I think what uh, I think Putin's idea was to move very fast, hit very hard, shatter conventional the conventional formations, surround the key cities, uh, uh, essentially change the government and for uh, compel a a negotiated settlement where a friendly government was installed. Well, that ain't going to happen. But on the other hand, I don't see the Ukrainians massing enough combat power to drive all the Russians out of the occupied areas. And remember, it's not just Russians that they're uh, Russian Russians that they're fighting in these occupied uh, territories like the Donbass. It's it's locals who want to be part of Russia. So you've got these you've got these militias there. They're not going anywhere. They're not packing up and leaving. So we've got to figure out what we want and what we can live with. And I hear uh, and I'm going to write about it town hall on Monday. You know, I hear some people essentially saying the Ukrainians ought to surrender because their people are getting killed. Well, your people get killed when uh, enemies invade you. If you if if you always surrendered, you'd you'd never have a problem. Um, I I don't buy that. I I do think what we will likely see is some sort of uh, armistice where the Russians uh, keep some territory, including some of the territory that they've uh, wrongly taken with his invasion. Uh, on the other hand, there may be a war of attrition, and I think the Russians are uh, poorly positioned to fight that over the long term. I think there's going to be pressure at home. The re- look, this bat- look, this war is going to be won in Moscow and in Russia. It's not going to be won in Ukraine, much like the Vietnam War was won for the Vietnamese here in the United States. Right, right. So, so what do you feel? we should want out of this way. What, what's a win for the United States? Because I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm watching what NATO is doing. I, I, I think they have to take some kind of economic action, but I also watch people going on the news and saying, you know, what they're asking for MIGs. Shouldn't we give them, shouldn't we just listen to what they want? How do you feel about well, that? Look, I, I always thought the MIG thing was a little silly because I don't think that, conven- I don't think they're going to win conventionally. Uh-huh. Uh, aircraft are part of a conventional force. You know, you have mechanized battalions, you know, you have armored divisions, you have artillery, mass artillery, you have aircraft. Uh, And that doesn't seem to be quite the way this particular army is going to win, in my view. Uh, My question is, who's going to fly this guy? Randy Quaid from Independence Day? (laughs) (laughs) My my partner's joke. I wish it was mine. Uh, but, But here's the thing. I mean, all the good MiG pilots are fighting or dead. And I, 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 look, I, I don't think it hurts for them to have more MiGs. 
I do think it is a problem when Poland says, okay, America, take these MiGs to Ramstein in Germany, refurbish them there, making that arguably a um, a, a combatant location, right. and then give them to the uh, Ukrainians. Uh, people keep talking about, we should let Putin have a veto over what is escalation and what isn't, except he does because he's got 8,000 nuclear weapons. Right. Um, my feeling is, not one life, American life for Ukraine, yep. unless you want to volunteer and join their foreign legion, which I, I noticed Bill Crystal has not done <laughs> yet, which that's, uh, he, that's, he could be a heavy division all himself. He probably just forgot. Maybe you know. if he, you know, maybe if he took his pool boy along, that's, that's two of them. Um, I guess, you know, if Brian Stelter over there, he could be logistics because he's a potato. Uh, well, they might make him into vodka. Yeah, look, the, the, the thing is, uh, you, you know, you have these guys talking big. I know the faces of the guys who are supposed to die for this. Hmm. And I look, I, I, I'm not a, I, I'm not a pacifist. I, 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 I am a, I'm a Jacksonian. I'm an American hawk. When our interests are at stake, I say kill them all. Our interests are not at stake here in that sense. Russia has a much greater interest in Ukraine, and I'm talking in the political science way, not like, you love Putin. <laughs> no, Russia has a greater interest in Ukraine than we do because Ukraine's next door, which means, and we always need to understand our enemy, he ha he's going to do more, take more risks and do more dangerous things for Ukraine than we should be willing to. And that's another thing. I, I find it very, very annoying uh, that these amateurs and fools uh, misunderstand the concept of knowing your enemy with supporting your enemy. Mm. I, I look, I'm, I'm not an expert on Russia. I, I don't know all the intricacies of Orthodox mysticism, which plays a part in it. Uh, you know, there's a huge history. There's a huge a bunch of nationalism. Uh, the Ukrainians have a long history with Russians and do not like them. I remember our guys. We thought we could speak Russian to them because they were all ex-Soviet. Uh, we would speak Russian to them. They get mad. Uh huh. Okay. So there's a lot, a lot going on there that we don't fully understand, but we need to understand. And because you're trying to see it from the enemy's point of view. And one of the first things you do in an operations order is enemy situation. What's the enemy thinking? What's he want? Uh, it does not mean you like Putin. So mm -hmm. I, I get a little, I find it a little tiresome when you say, well, you know, Russia has some interests in Ukraine. Oh, you love Putin. No, I'm telling you what the enemy thinks so I can defeat him. Right. right. Dummy. Because because um, there, there was a little talk about Putin's not so bad or there's no moral difference between them or Ukraine is corrupt. Uh, how uh, yeah, how, there, how uncorrupt does Ukraine have to be before people... You, Ukraine are is super corrupt. Yeah, of course, but that I doesn't mean, mean to, you get to, to invade them. To fly out of there the first time in like 98, uh, we had to have a State Department guy hand over a briefcase full of money to the guy who ran the airport. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, look, it is super corrupt. It, 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 there are bad people there. There are people there who do not like Jewish people and some people who like Hitler. Um, there are bad people out of 45 million. There are problems between Ukraine and Russia. And in some objective sense, uh, perhaps they should work them out. But you don't work them out by sending 200,000 armored right, troops right, into the country to kill everybody in their path. OK, that that puts you in the wrong. And I'm not really interested in what uh, is arguably, and I'm not making the argument, I'm just saying they're having an argument, uh, it, it are your beats. So I don't really me, care at that. I, I, I want to ask you, and, and I want to ask you to be brief so I can get to your book. What, what, do, what, do, we, what do we want here? What, what's the outcome we want and how do we get it as quickly as you can? Um, 
I, I think uh, for the United States, our best solution, first of all, we want the war over. It's in America's interest to have the war over. Uh, the war creates a risk of conventional fighting and nuclear fighting. I have no intention of seeing a mushroom cloud uh, forming over Los Angeles uh, because, uh, uh, you know, because of Kiev. Okay, they got their problems. I got mine. And uh, Ukraine ain't one of them. So the uh, we want a peaceful solution on the best terms possible. I like the idea of humiliating uh, Putin. I like the idea of getting as much, uh, causing as much damage to his military as possible. So he can't do it again. I like the idea of learning as much about his military as we can. I hope our CIA is over there going, I want that wrecked thing. I want that piece of equipment. I want that. I want that. Give me, let me get that missile. We're taking that all back and uh, we're gonna we're gonna break it down and cra- uh, reverse engineer. Um, and I want uh, I also want the Europeans to take NATO seriously, which they have not been doing. Uh, and suddenly they are. Yeah, the that, that's other the best thing, thing that's happened. And, about, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and the other thing I want, which I'm not going to get because of the global warm uh, global warming cultists, is I want America to be energy independent yeah. again. Yeah. If okay. we as if we need more proof. Uh, the, the flexibility of us not relying on our enemies for power when we've got power in the ground that can make Americans rich and support American families by extracting. It, it's a no lose except and, you know, because you you've lived amongst them, you know, these bizarre cultists who yeah. you know got rid of God and they inserted this weird, <laughs> you know, apocalyptic yeah. nonsense. Uh, that requires that we be poor and, uh, you know, bike like we're a bunch of grad students, you know, TAs at grad school. And, uh, uh, yeah. It's no, all right. Uh, we're we're pretty much on the same page. I, I agree with you. Tell me about the book. We'll be back. The Fall and Rise of America. It almost sounds hopeful, Kurt. Uh, it is hopeful at the end, but boy, do I, uh, do I drag <laughs> us through the muck. Uh, I talk. Uh, look, America, look, America was at its pinnacle and I didn't realize it till like really, as I was thinking about this book, I was physically there at the time and space and place of America's greatest strength. I was at seventh Corps headquarters 31 years ago in the Persian Gulf when we destroyed the Republican guard in 100 hours, we annihilated an entire army. Hmm. We wiped it out. No military's ever done anything like that. Hannibal would be sitting there going, whoa, Schwarzkopf. <laughs> you know, I'm not worthy. This was an amazing and remarkable achievement, and no one could challenge us. Other countries, Russia was stunned. And it, 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 you know, China, just what the hell? No one could stand against us. We were at the unchallenged zenith of our power at that time and place. I was there. I saw it. It's all been downhill since, and that's all been a choice. And it's getting worse. And of course, you've chronicled it. I've, I've certainly chronicled it. Um, but but there are worse things that can happen. And I, I look at them. Uh, there's we just kind of fade away as sexless millennials, you know, just sort of do what Europeans do. Uh, stare blankly at their television screens, watching the Eurovision can, Song Contest, <laughs> and then taking two taking can, two weeks on a Greek island, wearing way too small speedos, but uh, and not but, going to church, and then dying. When you say the rise forgotten. of America, can we stop it? We we can stop it, but we got. I mean, we got a lot of bumps in the road. We, we I look at a national divorce. I look at what would a civil war look like, and I'm going to have to tweak it with this Ukraine stuff because that's that's really demonstrated uh, the awesome power of small groups of infantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, especially against mechanized forces. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we can stop it because what we have, Andrew, is is, is something remarkable. Freedom uh, has demonstrated its resiliency yeah. over time. Yep. It, it's not perfect. Uh, freedom does collapse. You look at the Romans. You look at the you know to some extent the Greeks. And of course, you know I know they both had slavery. I know they weren't perfect. <laughs> I don't need any. I don't need any emails from uh, you know sophomores who took one uh, European studies survey course. Uh, but uh, I, I am hopeful. I'm always hopeful. Because what's my alternative to be one of those That's guys? Right. Oh, we're just going to lose the next election. Everything's going to, yeah, we're, we're doomed. Uh, McConnell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm with you. I, I can't. I uh, can't even. All right. I got to stop you there. The book is We'll Be Back. When when you, when the book, when We'll Be Back comes out, we will have you back. The Fall and Rise of America. Kurt Schlichter, it is always great talking to you and great to see you. And thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, great to see you. I hope to see you out in California soon. <laughs> all right. All right, we've talked about the problems of the world, and now the Clavenless Week looms ahead of us like a looming, dark, Clavenless thing that just is looming and dark. Uh, but before that happens, let's solve all your problems with the mailbag. I am the strongest woman this state has ever seen. I'm here to kick some f- ass. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Walsh? Uh, No, of course. Uh, All right. This one is from Grace. I am a college student working on my master's in professional counseling. Yours is the only Daily Wire show that I listen to consistently every single week. Uh, If you're wondering if I've been psychoanalyzing you, the answer is sadly yes. Unfortunately, your level of psychosis is outside the reaches of the current edition of the DSM-5. Perhaps in a later update, I will find a diagnostic category that makes sense of your psychopathology. Uh, All joking aside, one of the things I appreciate the most about your commentary is your high view of womanhood and the critical role that women play in society. I find it interesting that a majority of modern feminists find themselves depressed and dissatisfied with their lives. This is what we're talking about. Perhaps it's because there is nothing truly feminine about their feminist philosophy. You, however, elevate femininity as a linchpin of modern society. I love hearing you talk about how men are men because women are women. It is the essence of femininity that undergirds the core of masculinity. Speaking to this subject, I would love to hear what you believe are some of the pillars of true femininity and how young women, such as myself, can return to these principles for the sake of our men and for the sake of society. Thank you again for your boldness and sharing such countercultural and politically incorrect views regarding the subject. It's always refreshing to hear your outdated and out-of-touch opinions. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I, I think this, this is a good question that deserves an answer. I want to be careful to say that all uh, talk about men and women is are gen- by definition, generalities, and the way feminists uh, have always fought back is by saying, well, here's a woman who can lift 550 pounds, you know, and you say, okay, so there's an exception. You know, this is, that's that's a ridiculous way to think. Uh, normalcy is important and what the average is is important. Uh, so we're talking about women in general, but I also think that even in the realm of that, of womanhood and femininity, Women are individual human beings. This is a big surprise to a lot of guys, but this is true. Uh, And all of them, uh, femininity is not like this kind of ghostly thing that is just out there. It is something that lives in the hearts of real women, and real women are very different, uh, and they have different personalities. Or else there wouldn't be a girl for every boy in the world and a boy for every girl, right? We're all different. However, however, in the talking then, therefore, essentially about essential womanhood, one of the key things about it is it is involved with people rather than things. 
uh, all over the world, universally, women take on tasks uh, that involve people and men take on tasks that involve more things. This is why feminists are always saying we need more women in the sciences. Eh, we actually don't. Uh, you know, uh, women have typically gone into, uh, you know, teaching, nursing, things that involve children, uh, you know, things that involve people. Uh, they like in, in engaging with people. However, when you start to deal with people on the, that essential level, which is motherhood, and in fact, which is wifehood as well, because dealing with a, a, a husband is also an essential way of dealing with people. And what you are interested in is the person, not the thing. You then are tasked with turning material into the, turning the material into the spiritual. And this is, I think, the essence of the feminine task. I think that, you know, we're talking about the essence again. Each woman is different. Each woman will do it differently. Some women won't do it. But this is the essence, I think, of the feminine task is turning houses into homes. You know, you always uh, hear men, you know, rolling their eyes about their wife is so involved in furnishing the home and furnishing the house. And I always tell them, you know, you know what? You know, you like coming home. You like being in a home. You like having things more beautiful. You wouldn't do it. I mean, when I lived alone, I like really the, the health uh, officials should have come and shut down my apartment and put like criminal yellow tape over it. Uh, you know, making a house into a home is an actual spiritual task. Turning babies into human beings is a spiritual task. All that stuff that you do when you're cleaning them up, the crap off them, when you're uh, you know, feeding them, when they're spitting stuff up and you're tending them, all of that stuff turns uh, babies into people. It turns them into people who are well-adjusted and attached to the world. Turning men into husbands and fathers is something that women do. And feminists are always saying, well, why do we have to help men? Well, you got to do something. You got to do something worthwhile. And helping men become men is not a bad thing to do. It is an actual spiritual task. And all of this turns these acts that would be just drudgery into acts of love. I mean, have you ever noticed? This is the thing that always gets me. I always say to people, if you think that moms don't matter, go up to somebody who's a guy who's bigger than you and insult his mother and see what happens. Like the next thing you'll see will be like birdies and stars flying around because it'll have knocked you ass over tea kettle. And the reason he will do that, he will tell you, is because my mother did this and she made did the laundry and she fed me and she, she was always there when I came home. Those acts of drudgery become acts of love. That is a transformation of the material into the spiritual. Men are masters of the material. They build stuff. They turn stuff into other stuff. They invent stuff. They find stuff. They stuff stuff stuff. And as I said before, men can't even talk to each other. You know, like my son and I had most of our deepest conversations over video games. They have to be doing stuff in order even to communicate. And so because men are like that, men want to say that they are more important than women. And so they have invented this entire world of reward and money and fame. It's all men invented. If you can hit a ball with a stick, you can make millions of dollars. If you were a mom, you know, there is no category. There shouldn't be a category for paying moms. There shouldn't be a category for paying moms because it is priceless work. So all of the things that the material world offers, money, fame, uh, you know, respect, all of these things come naturally to men because they are given by men in a world made by men. And women get uh, uh, disdained or, or uh, belittled, and feminists say, well, we're being disdained and belittled, therefore we will disdain and belittle ourselves and join with the men and try to compete with the men, and therefore the men have to be less manly so we can be more manly because we can't compete with the men, and in fact, 
we aren't, we are men. I didn't, I, now I'll take off my wig and I'll show you that we are. You know, it's like they've lost the track of what they were doing because they lost their own respect and society through feminism lost respect for what they're doing. It, you know, read your gospels. They will tell you that if you follow the spirit instead of the flesh, the world will not be as kind to you as if you do what the world wants you to do, which is love stuff. You know, and, and that is, that is in a way, you know, I, I said this to uh, Meg Basham the other day. It's one of the reasons I think Portia, Shakespeare has Portia dress up as a man to defend Christianity because there is a way in which Christianity heightens the value of women. And it did just that in civilization. So that's my answer. I, I think it is largely a question of making the material spiritual. That is the essence of femininity uh, to me. And like I said, it can look like a million different things. From Peter, uh, greetings, Lord Claven. On your show this past week, you signed off by saying that a happy few might crawl through the flames and broken glass of the Claven this week. Was this a, a reference to the St. Crispin Day speech from Shakespeare's Henry V? Of course it was. Uh, this is one of my favorite speeches of all time. And the line, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers is particularly moving. Yes, it is. What is your favorite Shakespeare play? Thanks and God bless. I don't have a, you can't have a favorite Shakespeare play. They're all so great and so many are great. I like the tragedies uh, more than I like the comedies. I probably like the histories more than I like the comedies. I will say that Henry V with Kenneth Branagh is my favorite Shakespeare movie. And my second favorite Shakespeare movie is his Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, he was he had two great Shakespeare films, uh, and then he kind of lost the track of it. I'm not sure why, whether that was him or Hollywood. Uh, but Henry V is the greatest Shakespeare movie, bar none. There is nothing quite like it. They always say the Laurence Olivier one. The Laurence Olivier one is so old and out of date, and Olivier looks like Danny Kaye in it. Uh, and um, But that movie is great. I, you know, I mean, Hamlet meant so much to me as a, I was a child. As I get older, King Lear means a lot to me. And one day I'll do a segment on how King Lear and the Tempest are sort of really one play, uh, kind of mirror images of each other. Uh, and the, But all of those tragedies, Macbeth, uh, Othello, all of them speak to me very deeply. Uh, then, as I say, the histories come next. And finally, the comedies. I've never been a big uh, comedy fan. Uh, and I've quoted this before, but the fellow who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a friend of mine. Uh, and we had a conversation once when I said to him, I quoted a famous critic saying Shakespeare's tragedies are better than his comedies because tragedy is better than comedy. And he said, Shakespeare's tragedies are better than his comedies because Shakespeare wasn't funny. Uh, so that, that may be, that may well be the truth. Uh, but I, I like trage his tragedies better and I like his histories better than his comedies. I got to stop there. And that means that the Clavenless Week has actually come down, that kind of like the Iron Curtain falling, kind of like the endless night falling, sort of like hell rising up uh, through the graves of the dead and uh, piercing uh, the world of the living. The Clavenless weekend has come. Uh, run for your lives. Uh, it won't help, but go ahead because there's no, there is nowhere to run. There is no Claven place to run while the Clavenless uh, week is going on. However, if, if, and I say if, you survive, we will be back next Friday with The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Lisa Bacon, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. 
Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. Our production coordinator is McKenna Waters, and our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hi there. This is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, all major U.S. airlines ask President Biden to drop the federal mask mandate. The Hunter Biden investigation could implicate the president and NATO leaders hold an emergency session on Ukraine. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 